Hail, male and stale, not me. I've got who for you and I don't say anything blue. Toby Haydoke here, trying to accentuate the positive by watching a Doctor Who story and trying to guess my special guest's favourite things about it. Hello, Toby. Uh, my name is James Goss and I write uh, things for Big Finish. I write target novels and, well, that's what I do. And uh, you've asked me to nominate a story and I'm nominating For to Doomsday because nobody else will because they're all wrong. Because For to Doomsday is For to Doomsday. And I hope you're about to enjoy For to Doomsday as much as it's given me pleasure over many, many years since I first saw it. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed In a Strange Kind of Way. Episode one of Four to Doomsday, uh, or Inside the Spaceship, um, which is where we spent uh, that first instalment. And uh, we left on a very strange cliffhanger. I'm in the company of James Goss. He chose the corridors. I chose the lighting, but I like the lighting of the corridors. Certainly the design is getting a thumbs up from James and I. Let's see what we will enjoy about episode two. I'm watching on BritBox even though I also have it on DVD and on Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, so, and, yeah. So, <laughs> what is going to happen to all this stuff when I die? Um, so, people are going, why has he got it? What? what? Um, anyway, but I think we all have that in common, don't we? So, uh, I also have signed photos of some of the... Let's not get into that. Uh, watch from the... We're strange people, aren't we, We Dog? We're not str as strange as anybody else, actually. Well, well, I just think we allow our strangeness a full flourish. I think other people other people try and keep a lid on their strangeness, and it makes them furious. <laughs> Whereas, actually, I think if you embrace it, and just... I'm, I'm aware that what I do is nonsense, but life is kind of nonsense. Um... And uh, if you if you don't if you don't give full rein to your, and I'm not saying oh aren't I wacky because I hate those people too. I'm just going uh, don't you know there's nothing. We, we all have characteristics that are probably you can trace back to the animal uh, within us, um, and this is you know based on you know we catalogue things and keep them in order and obsess over them because they're the things that make you feel safe and if you feel safe uh, you are less on edge and if you're less on edge uh, and feel that your nest is surrounded by the things that you enjoy and that make you comfortable and stimulate you 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 better function in life that's my story and I'm sticking to it as I watch a piece of television uh, from uh, the early 1980s that I've seen many many times before when I haven't read all of James Joyce's Ulysses or learned to make pasta but there we go that's that's the journey I'm taking through life and this is going to be a journey on a very slow spaceship uh, so we're going to watch from the beginning of episode two as I press whatever it is I press uh, in three two one and watch from the beginning so it's going to start with uh, I know some people hate this theme um, I actually rather like it um, I'm not wild about Davison's face I've said this before I think Davison's face is not great for the title sequence um, 
uh, that pleasant open face, and it opens like a Venetian blind. Um, I wasn't wild about the neon logo, but I quite like it now. Um, I, yeah, I, st I still don't think any of it's a, a patch on the uh, uh, on the on the earlier stuff, but uh, maybe it has nostalgia for me. I don't know. Um, yes, because some of you listening to this, I suppose you you know this will this will be an an old story for you. Whereas for me, as I, as I said uh, uh, last time, it's it's quite it's it's a modern one. It's a new Doctor. I watched this story unfold, um, and then I'm reading the credits. You go, a lot of those people are dead now, and of course they are because when I watched this, I was six or seven, and I'm at least forty years older than that. Forty years. So hang on, this is as old as <laughs> now as the war was when i was watching this that's how far away it was it's very i think it's i think it's quite artful to well no it's it's quite it's quite appropriate to have the uh the two of them dressed in green they are they are the frog like creatures so uh you know it's a bit on the nose but it it works and for the younger members of the audience it is an echo of uh, those creatures that we saw them as first. Um, I wish we'd had a better look at the close-up of their masks. Maybe he didn't do a close-up of the masks because they didn't spend a lot of time working on them because they were only going to be used for a very short amount of time. Paul Shelley is a marvellous, marvellous actor and quite big news at the time. Uh, I remember he was in Secret Army. Uh, he was in a few things on the telly, but he'd also had come or was about to come to the Ludlow Festival. Uh, I live Minister of Enlightenment. He's 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 got a very n nice, sharp features and a pointed voice, which makes him excellent for, well, for heroism, also for authority, but also for um, uh, sort of arch villainy. He's 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 he's, he's a well sculpted actor. I think tonally and visually, facially, he's got a, a, a great pointed face, um, and it, and has had a fine, fine career. I mean, he was acting, playing lead roles at the, the Globe Theatre in relatively recent uh, history. Um, brother of the actor Francis Matthews, um, he was somebody that I'd approached for Who's Round via a friend. Of, no, somebody just emailed me and said, "Oh, I, I sort of know Paul Shelley." Um, shall I ask? And I went, oh yeah, great. And got a message back saying, no, he's not really, it's not really his thing. And then Lisa Bowman asked him not that long after and he was really enthusiastic and he missed his train and he went to the trouble of looking up my agent and ringing my agent and saying, I don't have his number. Can you call him and say, I'm sorry that I'm late. And blah, blah, blah. and, and, and uh, I, I bought many people a meal for, for doing Who's Round and he, he would only accept a chocolate muffin uh, and was game and enthusiastic and, and made the journey in. He doesn't live in London. Um, so having had a no from one advance got a yes from another look at the depth of that set they're going out they're going out into the lighting very very good design um so i'm i'm very fond of paul shelley um uh, and i know he's not he's not embraced sort of fan events or anything with any any greater uh, enthusiasm because i know he's been approached and it's been very polite it's just not his thing so i i still don't quite know why and I'm not saying it's anything about me because I have equally had people 
who have said no to me and I've gone, oh, well, they're obviously it's not their thing, who've then said yes to loads of other people. So I think there's and there's a few of us who've sort of tried to trace and track down sort of support players or, or people a bit further down the cast list or, you know, not uh, to, 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 to complete all of that, the, the sort of jigsaw puzzle of Doctor Who. And sometimes being very professional and saying your BBC credentials really helps. Uh, and I remember trying desperately with, with I tried so many different approaches for for, for Norman Jones, who uh, was Major Baker in the Silurians, and Chris Song in the Abominable Snowman, Hieronymus in the Mask of Mandragora, and I thought, well, the final what I'll do is I'll I'll wear you know I'll, I'll I'll wear all my official you know I'll put all my CV stuff because I'll come across as a real real professional, uh, and you know either got nothing or uh, no he's not interested. But then I, I discovered later a friend of mine who'd written as a sort of enthusiastic, you know just an enthusiastic sort of p- p- uh, non you know non media type as it were uh, and got a lovely reply so and I, I discovered later about about norman that, that that he was he was slightly disappointed by the end of his career and thought he'd been let down by the industry so me coming across as oh well i'm professional i'm from the industry was actually totally the wrong approach so that's just an example of that i'll probably use when i do the commentaries for abominable snowman <laughs> doctor of the silurians and uh and uh last grand dragon so it has no place here but just i didn't want to seem boastful about saying oh i got paul shelley and he doesn't do other stuff because i've equally had people um who've not spoken to me have spoken to loads of other people so uh and thank god for the likes of ben jolly and lee allen and stephen griffiths who are uh, and alex moore who are other people who who like to track people down. I love that effect with the monopticon and the hat dangling off it. Uh, obviously, that's on a bit of string, but it's still moving. That's but and it's not moving like it's wobbling. That's a great shot. The uh, and of course called the urbankans, uh, and I like the sort of bank of panels behind them. Uh, there's a real sense of scale there. You you know, Doctor Who is often feels like it's quite confined, and that can work to its advantage. And, and, and having small pokey sets in, in, in atmospheric stories can, can really work. But this, I think, has a great, excuse the pun, majesty about it. Uh, a, a real sense of this, because you need a sense of scale because of the sheer length of the journeys back and forth that this, uh, this is taking. Uh, soul is a blasphemy. I like, I like that idea. Flesh time. Uh, I, 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 and the whole thing, I, I, and I like having not liked some of the, the the writing of the the humor in particular. I do think things like the flesh time is a lovely evocative sort of phrase, uh, and and it, and it means they're setting us up for a, a sort of different mindset. That's the interesting thing about these villains is that they're they you know they conduct their whole way of life in a totally different way, and I find that very interesting. Um, Davison's already, I mean, he's landed fully formed, hasn't he? He's, he even puts his hands in his pockets well. <laughs> he's, he's and, oh, but, and excuse me for repeating myself, but I know not everybody listens to all of these. I was not a fan of Davison as a youth uh, because he was not Tom Baker. Uh, uh, and he wasn't one of the other doctors that I hadn't really seen much of. Uh, but because they were on before I was born, they were brilliant. Uh, I love Davison. Now I think he's probably the most consistent actor of the lot um i don't think he's i don't, I, th- I think he judges his performance really well and i think he r- he rises beyond the limitations of of what could be seen as the the, the downfalls of the casting i.e. that he's young 
uh, and sort of fresh-faced. Uh, and I think he 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 conveys intelligence. He conveys eccentricity, and he conveys. And I, I love that sort of desperate that the, the, the fact that his voice goes to quite a high register um, means that he can do panic and he can do tetchiness. But crucially, he suggests an older person in a younger person's body without sort of doing crusty, fusty acting. It's a great performance. Um, and it's a, it's a character actor's performance in a, the body of a leading man. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, and credit to John Nathan Turner because he, you know, following Tom Baker is really hard, of course, really hard. Baker was, you know, the definitive doctor at the time, you know, and that lasted for so long. He was everybody's, you know, idea of Doctor Who. People still fondly, fondly remembered the old ones, but Tom Baker was such a success, certainly in in my sphere of reference anyway. There was the odd bus driver who went, oh, I like that John Pertwee the best. Um, uh, and uh, yes, of course, the thing, your first Doctor is your favourite Doctor, but I think, you know, Tom Baker made such an indelible mark on the show. Following him was hard. And I, I, would, I would argue harder than the job that any... Well... I suppose Troughton had a hard job. Anyway, it was hard. And I think it was a... That's a nicely composed shot as well. Um, um, and I th I think John Nathan Turner, casting a star, you know, all creatures great and small. Davis Davison was such a well-known face. Um, and, and casting from sort of left field, not trying to match Tom Baker, but going a completely different direction was a canny piece of producership and I think the viewing figures showed that and and you know Davison's performance showed that uh, and, and I you know I think that was it was one of it, it showed it, you know it showed how strong Nathan Turner could be um, whereas we know in other areas his judgment um, wasn't always on point but I think I, I think you know, I think there was a time when, you know, he couldn't put a foot right in the eyes of fans, myself included. I liked being an angry fan at that time. And uh, uh, and, and, and actually, that's uh, he, it's his his the balance of his successes and failures, I think, is 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 more even than I think we sometimes, you know, think when, you know, when our when our thoughts of that time automatically kick in. Um, summon Bigan. He's he's got he's he's great. He's yeah. He's good. I love the way he leans forward. I don't know why, because uh, it, it's just again it's just sort of punctuating the sort of stiff kingliness thing. But it but it has a power to it. There's a lot of this, isn't there? Of of uh, different extras representing different time periods doing dances which is it's a it's a thing um somebody should have told those two wrestling extras to fold their arms in the same way because they've they've decided to do them in different ways i don't know um and that's now i think that shot of shelley there is taken from quite far away and zoomed in and it just gives it a slightly different quality to if they'd had the camera up closer and it sort of again it, it just helps to suggest people looking over each other and the, the, the crowdedness and the and the distance between and yeah um but but as as i say as yeah as, as it's a recreation yeah 
represent now as i say i think the whole thing about the different cultures is is a is a really great concept and i think you could do so much with it today that they don't do here it's almost as if it's enough to say we have you know um, actors in different costumes actors of obviously different ethnicity um now philip Locke here i remember his his uh, obit in was it the guardian which was written by a friend so it wasn't as objective as 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 obits have to they've changed their house style slightly it might have been the independent but the same applies really but uh, it d described him as playing a balmy android in doctor who and i just like the use of the word balmy and i don't think he... he's so so good at this sort of dialogue uh, so good at this sort of dialogue. Look at that set. Look at that lighting. Um, beautiful. And the, that Monopticon. This is all great. Uh, if ponderous. <laughs> um, <laughs> music's good too. Uh, very bright. Yeah, and so we've got... And I suppose this is quite this is quite sixties. I don't think Terence Dudley's ever watched Doctor Who before, do you? <laughs> or if he did, it was in about nineteen sixty-four. I think he watched the Censorites. <laughs> he watched the Censorites, directed Megloss, and then did this, and then, and, and and this was the result. <laughs> but he was an odd child, and I know because I know Peter Davison is not a fan of Terence Dudley's scripts either. And didn't he? He seems to have had a history of. Sort of falling out with people who 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 created his who's who's who created series that he produced because I think he took he took survivors the sort into the sort of good life direction didn't he which is not what Terry Nation had envisaged uh, and and I and I don't think Peddler and Davis were wild about what he did with Doomwatch so my impression is he seems to have spent a lot of his time um, pissing people off I think he died on Christmas Day. So he even ruined Christmas. Oh, that's a terrible thing to say. Um, but I would be interested. I don't know anyone that, that ever that ever met him. I'd be interested in 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 doing, finding out a bit because he was one of those because he was much more of a sort of name before he came to Doctor Who. Almost this is like the sort of back end of his career, really. So when you think about Terence Dudley, you really sort of think about those 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 producerships he had of those those great those great series in the seventies and and his and, the, and this sort of weird Doctor Who flavored coda that uh, that took him to retirement, um, but I'd be interested to I don't know because I've got sort of little nuggets about him I'd be interested to get the full story I think. Um, so yes, that I mean I. I, I can imagine, I can't, would he have had to have submitted a storyline? Episode 2, Doctor Who watches lots of dances and waves at one of the baddies uh, 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 whilst wondering what's going on. Um, they have lungs, I was, uh, let them remember that. I think that's very nice. And that, that sort of emphasises, you know, Monarch's whole um, ambivalence towards the organic. <laughs> Uh, he wouldn't find many shops to his liking here in Chorlton, uh, South Manchester, where you can't move, can't move for hummus and uh, organic kale. Um, and I like, I, I, I always like Doctor Who 
when it contrasts, when it juxtaposes, when it when it. Um, so, so we've got somebody here who looks like a picture postcard Greek philosopher, um, and you know, then they've gone for the very stereotypical look, but that's absolutely the right choice because you've got him typing into a a, a keyboard, and I love those chunky keyboards. They're much more. They make a great noise. Uh, and there's a lot of them in, in, in this period of Doctor Who. And I suppose to somebody that was born after me, it, they probably look a bit sort of quaint and old-fashioned. But to me, they're, they're, they're great. They're, they're sort of chunky. And I, and, I, and I like the way I like the way they augment consoles in 80s Who. Um, it's all, I guess it shows it's all about context and when you were, when you were born. Um, but seeing a, you know, a Greek philosopher typing into a Commodore 64 keyboard... I get to, I like that. I I um, I I I like what uh, that's Doctor Who to me colliding uh, different recognizable things uh, and making you look at them afresh and strange and they look incongruous. Uh and and you know that's what that's what the concept of Doctor Who is. It's a it's a it's a police box on an alien planet. That's that you know that's the that, 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 that you know that's the essential of Doctor Who and 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 you know uh uh uh, a natural development of that is 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 to have a Greek philosopher typing into keyboard. I like the way that um, Philip Locke does this, where he uh, where he uh, does that. Oh, I'm 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 pretending I'm talking to you normally and ex explaining the fight, but uh, I'm I'm actually showing that I want to talk to you. Um, I I I think he acted that well, and I think it's a nice moment. Um, between the characters um it's been one of my favorite bits so far uh and it's i suppose su and i suppose it's uh, i suppose the the sort of the length of time that it takes uh adds to the tension it's a funny old fight the fight sequences in this are a bit odd um uh and of course, it was a good diversion of the Doctor because you think, oh, it's a bit hoary that he does a faint. Um, but actually, uh, you know, it, dist it it of course it distracts persuasion, which it's supposed to do, but also it it ties in thematically with um, the pomposity that Monarch has about you know his his way of being. So he's like, yeah, the, these fleshy people, these organic people, they faint. Uh, which means that it's it, it's useful to the plot as well as to the uh, the immediate needs of the story, which is to get Bygan out of the way and the Doctor to cause a distraction. Um, I know they're supposed to be letting them sort of wander round, and, and she does raise the question of saying, "Is it is it wise to let them see?" But I think I think. I think your villains these days would just go, let's not let the people do the thing that, that might get them to find out bits about our plan. But I said, no, I suppose because cause Monarch is, is arrogant. And, and again, I think, I think John's is very good not to, to overplay that. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't, well, I suppose he does have a superior tone, but he, he just pitches it right. It's a, it's a well-pitched performance. Um, because there's some funny special effects in this, aren't there? Is there? Oh, I think there's a. Is there a stabbing now that is a bit weird? Um, and it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you do actually see the thing go through him. Um, 
I remember that being awful. It's actually pretty good, isn't it? It's 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 strange because it's done with a with a special effect, isn't it? To to actually see the to see the sword go through. Um, a very stylized fight, though. The start, the fight is B H Barry, isn't it? Who also um, did the fight in? Uh, oh yeah, there's a lot of this, isn't there? Well, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think there's just something quite comical about yet another dance. <laughs> We've had them all now. <laughs> um, oh yes, and I and actually it's it's. It's rather good to see, you know, Tegan so appalled by thinking she see, you know, we get a bit blasé about death in Doctor Who, but this is, this is one, one quite a nice riposte that where somebody's actually pretty disgusted uh, by what she's seen when actually it, ironically, isn't it, that we see so, there's so much real death that people don't bat an eyelid about, but this is a, a fake death. Um but again, it's one of those useful things, in a, a bit like the, the the atmosphere that I was talking about in episode one, that a series that is so often blasé about, it's a nice to occasionally have a more realistic um, uh, reaction to death, just so that we take stock and, and, and just remind ourselves that, you know, the, the things that we take in our stride in these shows would be things that would act absolutely appall us and give us PTSD uh, within five minutes. And this is a great piece of... Oh, hang on. Uh... So, okay, he's been stabbed, but he's not dead and he's been mended. What is that all about? And I, um, and I suppose, you know, we can guess because of the references to flesh time and that sort of thing, but we, have, we aren't quite sure. Um, and, and it's letting its developments out, um, you know, a, a, a bit at a time. Uh, that was very... Uh, that was very pre-credit sequence in in New Who, wasn't it? Somebody will advance towards us, and we'll and we'll back away, because um, uh, somebody's advancing slowly. Whereas if it if it hadn't been at a dramatic high point, they'd have just grabbed them and pulled them out, pulled them out. Um, so the only organic life is is in the floral chamber. He's got an odd diction, but I do like it. Um, he only had one eye, Philip Locke, but we'll 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 get into that uh, in in the next. Uh, now th I, I remember this being a slightly naff effect as well, but actually, it's again I, I ah yeah that doesn't quite work. I can see what they're going for there, but of course his face stays where it is when he lifts the mask, whereas of course it would that the mouth would move up. Uh, so. A brave attempt to do an effect there that doesn't quite work, uh, but actually the revealing of the the chest is okay, and I adore that. And again, I, I remember at the time being slightly nonplussed by it because I was six and I wanted somebody to point a gun at somebody. Um, but and I think the sort of slightly plaintive way that he goes, "This is me," uh, I find charming and weird. Um, but it reveals that now I suppose the re re revelation that somebody is an android is a bit sort of it's a bit bread and butter for Doctor Who but the way that it's sort of drawn out in a way and the and, and, and the way that they build up to it the only organic life is in the floral chamber and, and you know this is me rather than I'm an android this is me I think is is charming and and weird and slightly and that, as I say that slightly forlorn way that he does it uh, uh, I think is really rather disarming. 
So again, I'm, I'm sort of speaking against my first experience of, of this uh, show and saying that I, I you know, again, I, I really like that cliffhanger. I suppose because I've got so many Doctor Who cliffhangers that I've seen many times, and a lot of them are fairly similar. And this, these two aren't, you know, they're, they're, they're peculiar. Um, and I think I'm going to choose the cliffhanger as my favourite thing of episode two. This is me. Um, even though I, I think the bit where he lifts his, his head is obviously where they've superimposed Philip Locke's face onto the, onto the mask. But of course, then when the mask lifts, the face stays where it is and of course vanishes, but it doesn't vanish in the way. Yeah, it doesn't quite work. Um, which adds to the slightly weird disjointedness of this story, which I've also, I've, I've always acquainted with. You go, oh yeah, it's quite slow and wandering about a spaceship, but it's actually, it's quite charming and quite philosophical. And just, you know, there's nothing bad about it. And then you go, oh no, there are a series of really bad special effects, uh, which, because uh, we're going to, I'd completely forgotten and gone, yeah, there's not actually not that many because the stabbing was fine and the ridding of the chest was okay. Although the circuitry does look like, like it's sort of been jammed into a cupboard. It doesn't look like the sort of beating android heart of a, of a, of a, of a, you know, it's not Blade Runner, is it? It's, 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 it's like, it's like a box of spare parts. Um, but I, um, but I've, I've, I've just remembered that some very bad special effects still to come. Um, but which, which I wonder if it didn't have a, a couple of sequences that are really you know quite poor i wonder if we would be more charmed by this story but i suppose we want a bit more excitement from our doctor who do we than this but if i want an exciting doctor who, i've got plenty on the shelf so again it is with the benefit of the fact that i have every episode of doctor who in several different formats and uh, can choose one with machine guns whenever i want that because th th that i think feel that this also has a place in the canon which as i say i'm, I'm not sure was my feeling when I watched it as a kid, but I was six, what did I know? Uh, what does James, I wasn't six, I was seven. Was I seven, six, seven? Oh, I was eight, six, seven, eight. I was eight, I was eight. I still didn't know very much. So, James Goss, what does he think of part two? And what does he choose as his favourite thing? We had a similar little bit of smattering of crossover with the first one. I'm hoping he's chosen the cliffhanger. I feel that he might have done. I'm feeling, I was going to say quietly confident, I've just said it out loud about this one. James. The best thing about episode two is obviously enlightenment and persuasion because they are Doctor Who villains literally drawn from a companion's mind and they are sassy. Even a story as wonderful as Four to Doomsday does not necessarily deserve enlightenment and persuasion because they are fabulous. And my favourite moment, even though it isn't necessarily from this episode, is definitely, yes, Doctor, the poor are always with us. These are villains who know they're on a Doctor Who story and are really, really enjoying it. Hooray! Uh, enlightenment and persuasion are good. They're very 80s as well, aren't they? They look very 80s. Paul Shelley was also, he'd been in um, uh, Taylor Two Cities as well, hadn't they? Directed by Michael Bryant, playing the lead in that. Uh, so, you know, very, very... Oh, or had he been in that, or was he about to be in it? Look it up. This is I'm not not AMDB today, um, but he was certainly he was a face of the eighties, and Annie Lambert was also uh, a face of uh, a face of the eighties. So that you know, this is Doctor Who, you know, 
was always like, oh it's that person and i think it just it just always gave something a sheen of quality of people that you'd seen from other things turned up and lent their heft to to silly old doctor who it made you think oh doctor who's not silly these are you know this is this is stuff that attracts quality um so yeah well done for choosing enlightenment and persuasion would i have chosen them i don't know maybe i've sort of rather taken them for granted um uh and they look great i love his velvet jacket and uh, she's stunningly beautiful anyway james chose enlightenment persuasion i chose the cliffhanger well that was him and this is me ta-ta Well, thanks ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke. And my special guest this time around is James Goss, who can be found on Twitter at Goss Jam. And his wonderful Doctor Who books are available at all the outlets you'd expect. I'd like to thank him, as well as the patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include Mark Aldridge, Kit Allen, Sebastian Apriel, Tilt Ariza, Simon Ash, Richard Alt, Stephen Bamford, Lung Baramus Banks, James Bell, Richard Bignall, Peter Blackett, Robin Bland, Kyle Bores, David Brody, Nigel Bromley, Hugh Buchtman, Anthony Carroll, Anthony Carroll, Phil Chapman, Ralph Chilton, Susan Christian, Steve Churchill, Mark Clues, Graham Cluley, Charles Coffin, Simon Coling, Paul Cornaghi, Martin Cook, Matt Corner and Paul Cornell. The music for these podcasts is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Hey, look, if you fancy being on that list of lovelies and their contributions really do help, it buys me time to do these, hopefully properly, so that they sound good and aren't slapdash. I mean, any ums and ers are just my natural poor diction. <laughs> I know, I, I'm actually a speaker for a living, but I don't know if I'm an er. Anyway, let's uh, uh, see. See, if there was an er tin, an er tin and an interesting tin, we'd make a fortune for charity interesting my utterance of the word not me my my, my being so don't worry um i'm not uh, I, i'm not under any illusions I'm not, uh, under any illusions anyway what i'm trying to say is if you want to be on the list of patrons go to patreon.com forward slash toby haydoke where you can pay to give me an uh a deck to me um, that's where i get all my stuttering surgically removed no you can uh you can contribute once a month uh, for as little as three pounds a month uh, and for that you get bonus materials uh, extra releases you get er free podcasts the patrons get ones where i go go and edit all the errs no you don't uh, but you do get uh, various little see uh, get little bits and bobs various i've got really self-conscious about the erring now is this what i sound like in real life this is awful it's a good job i don't have to listen to this it would make me feel physically sick Anyway, I hope it's not having that effect on you. Become a patron for as little as £3 a month. And if you sign up for a year, you get a 10% discount on top of even that. And there are all sorts of goodies there. Ask me anythings once a month. As I say, six months ahead on the happy times and places. And there are bonus and exclusive releases as well. And all of that is available at the lowest tier, the £3. Although there are some other little goodies as you uh, ascend the tears but uh, yeah three pounds a month not bad and i'll tell you what uh, if the monthly thing is a little bit too daunting you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash toby Haydock, where whenever you're feeling flush uh, or if i sound particularly hungry i'm erring 
uh, on the side of malnutrition, you can uh, just chuck uh, chuck a few pennies my way whenever you like as a as a one off non you know non binding uh, donation. But look, I know that times are tough, and I'm just very grateful to you for listening uh, for this stuff, listening for this stuff, listening to this stuff in the first place. What was that I said about editing? Should I edit that out? No, I'll tell you what, I'll leave that in because anybody listening now is really, I mean, you should be expecting the dregs. It's, the, the fun is over, unless if it even began. Um, but that's the sort of thing I'd normally take out of, you know, a proper proper intro or anyway let's not let's not let's not get into what i do for you um you do it for me by listening and what you could also do uh, is go to itunes and podbean and wherever you get these podcasts from and give them five star reviews and also some positive write-ups that would really help because uh, that uh, just uh, enables me to stand out from the crowd uh, and if you're in the States and you have friends in America, I, these do pretty well in the UK. I'm absolutely gobsmacked and chuffed. But uh, the, the listenership in the America, which is a massive place, is is comparatively lower. And I'm sure I sound easy on the ear to uh, my American friends. And I've always enjoyed my time in America. So if you're an American Doctor Who fan and you have friends who don't know about this stuff, please do tell them. Thank you very much. <laughs> You can follow these podcasts on at Haydoke Podcasts on Twitter. I'm on Twitter too, at Toby Haydoke. So I've uh, I've messed about with the beginning there. You see, now you see, part of me thinks the beginning should always be the same. What I've started to do is I've started to get a little bit blasé about uh, the opening, the introduction, the, what this podcast is about, but only on the middle episodes. I'm still keeping the first and the last episode, you know, proper and formal. It's a bit like when they credited, you know, the film cameraman and uh, the lighting person on a Doc 2. They tend to do it on the first and the last episodes only. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I keep I keep the first and the last episodes for the proper way of doing it. But anyone that that accompanies us on the whole journey, well, you get a bit of frivolity. You get a bit of, of breaking of the format. Oh, I'm a maverick. I, 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 hope, I hope at least one of you cares. <laughs> <laughs>